Lord, the only person that can uh, win the victory that needs to be won today in this room is you. We just want to take a moment to bow in the presence of the great and awesome God of the heavens. We very joyfully confess, Lord, that we need you. In fact, I would say this morning that we desperately need you. Samson won an an amazing victory with a jawbone, proving that you put any weapon in the hand of the right warrior and the victory can be won. And so our prayer this morning is that you would take a human instrument and that you would take much more importantly your word and that you would win the victory in this room today. Nobody loves these people like you do, Lord God. Nobody aches for them like you do. Nobody stands in the heavens with handfuls of blessing waiting to pour out on them like you do. Father, we lay our time at your feet. Please, by the power of your Spirit, we pray that your work would be completely done. Everything that you want to accomplish this morning, in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord, amen. I have one sister. Her name is is Annie. When I was a sophomore at Mayus Bible College, Annie was 16 years old. About a year before she turned 16, she started secretly seeing a 25-year-old man. And the day she turned 16, she she left our house. I was at school. Um, I remember hearing about it, and and I remember my I remember my hands. They just uh, this is how DeGrasse deal with stress. My hands just peeled apart. My grandma used to do the same thing. You get too much stress in her life and, and her skin just started just peeling. I was home at one point and, um, from school and she came in and she was gathering up her belongings and, and I remember she started walking through the living room and, and I just looked at her. Um, I was the closest one to her in age. I'm boy number three and she's number four. And I just looked at her and I said, I said, you don't have to go, Annie. And she didn't say anything in response. She just gathered her belongings and she and she walked out the door. Back to the man who threw her down the stairs. Back to the man who um, choked her to unconsciousness at one point. The man who introduced her to drugs and alcoholism and probably a lot of things that I don't know about and I'm glad that I don't know about. Now let me please tell you that five years later, according to her testimony, she was gloriously saved. She's an amazing trophy of God's grace today. And so let me throw that in there. But the reason why I'm sharing this incredibly tender part of our life is I want to agree together with you this morning that it is incredibly sad. It is brutally sad when people do not live in the good of what they've been given. Is that true? Some of you have lived this to a far greater extent than than my family has lived this. But I think we can agree on that this morning, that it's it's brutally sad when people do not live in the good of what they've been given. A number of years ago, the Lord showed me um, that the worst thing that had ever happened to me in my life was me. And so I stand before you today, um, and I can so easily, even joyfully testify that the worst thing that has ever happened to Scott DeGroff in all of his life is Scott DeGroff. I have chosen in my Christian life. I've been saved for 37 years. I was saved when I was five years old. Praise God. I've chosen for the vast bulk of my Christian life to walk distantly from Jesus Christ rather than intimately with Jesus Christ. Every one of us in here, including me, we hit the jackpot. We hit the lottery, the $650 billion lottery when we came to know Jesus Christ. But there's not one of us yet that has entered into all of what God has for us. And that's my point this morning. In fact, I'll give you my one point at the the very beginning. And this is the title of the message if you want to write it down. It's simply this. The Lord wants more for you. I have labored and labored and labored in prayer about what the Lord wants me to share this morning. I have one bullet, right? And I've been begging the Lord that that bullet would exactly hit the mark. And and I hope that this is for your benefit. I'm 100% confident in the presence of God that this message that God has given me is the message for, for this group today. I know that the living God wants to do a work at Community Bible Chapel today. 
And I've been begging him that that work would be accomplished. So, Jeremiah chapter 2, if you would, in your Bibles. Jeremiah chapter 2. Jeremiah chapter 2, and we'll just start right in verse number 1. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Go and cry in the hearing of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, and then please notice this, please, 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 notice the heart of God. I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal, when you went after me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness to the Lord. I know a number of couples here in, in, uh, in the auditorium. In fact, I don't even know if they're in the auditorium, but I know, I know Lenny and Sarah. Um, I know Jacob and Mindy. I know Robert and Adria. Uh, there's more of you that I know than that. Um, the marriage relationship that I hope that you guys are so deeply enjoying. That's how God chooses to communicate his heart in this passage. In fact, it's God's number one illustration in all the Word of God. According to all of my study, according to all of my reading, this is God's most intimate, most detailed, most frequent expression of the relationship that He wants with every one of us. In the Old Testament Scriptures, He wed Himself to the nation of Israel. In the New Testament, you've got the bride and the bridegroom, right? He doesn't say, I want to be cousins, right? He doesn't say, I want to be first cousins. He doesn't say, I want to be brothers, right? I mean, in this context, when he chooses to express his heart of his desire for his relationship with every one of us, he chooses the most intimate of human relationships to communicate that. He's such a masterful communicator, and I hope you can see the tears on the face of God this morning in this passage. Listen to what he says. I remember you. Jacob and Mindy, I have no idea the state of your marriage. And I'm not assuming, I would never in a million years assume anything except the best. But honestly, I have no idea the state of your marriage. Um, I know elders in North America that live on opposite sides of a house from their wife. And, and the family knows it. If they don't remedy things, if they don't repent and humble themselves, eventually the Lord will keep spreading it because He refuses to leave us in our sin. But but they would say, this elder and this wife would say the same thing. I remember you. I remember the kindness of your youth. I remember the love of your betrothal. This is a husband saying to a wife, you remember what it was like when we were engaged? Do you remember that? Oh, I remember walking with my wife. I remember the first time I ever kissed my wife. I remember the utter delight of those days. That's what, that's what the living God is, is saying in this passage. He said, I remember you, the kindness of your youth, the love of your betrothal. Now, for sake of time, I'm going to skip ahead. And in, in verse four, he says, what injustice have your fathers found in me that they have gone far from me, that they have followed idols, that they have become idolaters? Let's skip all the way ahead to verse number 13. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Now, please, for the for the glory of Jesus Christ, please notice what he's trying to communicate here. First of all, please notice in the text, we desperately must learn to see sin the way that the living God sees sin. We must learn to see sin the way that he does. And what he's identifying in this passage, he calls evil. So no matter what we call it, he calls it evil. And he says there's two evils in verse number 13. The first one, they have forsaken me. You look up that Hebrew word and you come to these thoughts. To depart from, to leave To let alone, that's what the elder friend that I have, that's what he and his wife are doing. They're just leaving each other alone. They've called a truce, right? But there's no oneness. There's no unity. To let alone, to abandon, or this is my favorite, to neglect. To neglect. The Lord says, you've you've left me alone. I remember when we were engaged. I remember when Israel was holiness to the Lord. What does that mean? 
We basically all know this, right? Israel was set apart to the Lord. Israel was dedicated to the Lord. You could say, very fairly, Israel was passionate about the Lord. Israel chased after God. And God is saying, I remember that. I remember that. You know, the honest truth is some of you wives that are sitting here this morning would say this exact same thing to your husbands. I remember when when you chased me. I remember when you pursued me. I remember when you you wanted to sit next to me and talk. Some of you would say this exact same thing. This is how God is choosing to communicate His heart to us. The one that resonates with me is neglect. I will tell you that I have been saved for 37 years. I am 42 years old. In my Christian life, I have been a serial neglector of my relationship with Jesus Christ. It's been a massive issue in my life that the Lord has has dealt with. Now, I recognize in my heart, in my mind, in my character, I still have all of these same temptations, all of these same tendencies to be a serial neglector of intimacy with Jesus Christ. But the Lord, two and a half years ago, gave me the greatest gift of my life other than my salvation, and He made me chronically sick. He sat me down to where I had no choice but just to sit at his feet day after day after day. And he's taught me in that quiet place. I once served God, now I walk with God. It's an incredible upgrade. I would never trade it for for all of the world. I would never trade the last two and a half years of being chronically sick. In fact, I have this fear. You can pray for me if you like. I have this fear that if the Lord gave me health, then I would go right back to my tendency of being a workaholic. Now, I was a workaholic in ministry, but that doesn't change the fact. Idolatry is idolatry. It doesn't matter what the idol is, so to speak. It's still idolatry. Jesus Christ was not the number one thing in my life, and He deserves to be. That in all things, Christ may have the preeminence. In high school, as a 15-year-old boy, um, I had football was the center of my life, and so I had been kind of gradually compromising for a number of years. I remember witnessing to people in junior high. I remember doing my best to stand for Christ in junior high. There was a Christian teacher in my junior high, and that meant the world to me. And and I remember being encouraged by that, and I remember standing for Christ. And as a freshman, I had a really good football game. And on the bus, on the way home back to our high school, I made a conscious decision to betray Jesus Christ. I got tired of being made fun of. And I made a conscious decision. I'm gonna, I'm gonna fit in with the world. I didn't even know James chapter four, but, but I, I basically said, I want to be friends with the world. And so I decided to duck my head spiritually and I decided just to do what I could. Uh, I used the Lord's name in vain at a football practice one time. I, I had to push the words out of my mouth. It was actually painful to get them out of my mouth. And yet I did it because I, I valued being accepted in that social circle more than I valued honoring Jesus Christ and walking with Him. Now, long story short, that, that lasted maybe three or four months. Honestly, I don't remember how long, but it was about that long. And then I repented. Praise God. The kindness of God leads men to repentance, right? By the way, this is what I'm praying for in the room today, that the kindness of our God will lead many, many, many in this room today to repentance and into a fullness that you have never experienced before in the presence of Christ. I began to fill up every night of the, the week, and it wasn't instant by any means, but, but I began to fill up my life with service for God. And this is really my point. Youth group, leadership team for youth group, volunteered for junior high campus life, went and did everything I could to participate and, and share my faith in high school campus life. Um, Fellowship of Christian Athletes, little by little, um, I would come home from a, some kind of a sporting practice. I would eat supper and then I would instantly run out the door to a different kind of service, right? Most nights of the week, I filled up with service. And yet, I vividly remember uh, at times in high school saying to my dad, Dad, I'm bored. And my dad would say to me, he'd say, Scott, why don't you read your Bible? And and I would just think, I don't know if I said it out loud, but I would just think, Dad, that sounds like the last thing in all the world that I would ever want to do. It just seemed incredibly boring to me. I was running around almost every every day of the week serving God, but I was massively neglecting the quiet place with Jesus Christ to my own to my own vast detriment. That's my point. 
is that I have been throughout the course of my life a serial neglecter of the intimate, quiet place with Jesus Christ. Um, I've had the privilege of preaching all over North America. Uh, I would find myself at a, at a Bible camp an hour west of Ottawa, Canada, and I would be standing in front of a hundred youth, right? Anywhere from 18 to 25, probably. And I would say to them, Psalm 84, my heart and my flesh cry out to the living God. The Hebrew word is ramag, right? It means the the whole bodied cry. Like after you rush into battle and win and you thrust your sword in the air and you scream with all your might, right? My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. And then I would say to them, don't you love serving the Lord? And then in the back of my mind, this little flag would be waving in the back of my mind saying, that's not what the verse says. It was all I was capable of communicating at that point in my life. But that's not what the verse says. My heart and my flesh cry out for the living God. It's a personal love relationship with Jesus Christ. So the Lord, he, he tries to communicate, right? Well, he does a masterful job of communicating to people like us. And he comes down to our level and he says, look, I'm going to use the marriage relationship as the picture of how, how the adultery of Israel breaks my heart. How I remember how much you loved me and how much you chased me when we were first engaged. He uses all of these things to try to communicate. The opposite of, of neglecting God, um, I think, is well stated in Psalm 105.4. Seek the Lord. Seek his power, seek his presence continually. That's become an incredibly precious verse to me. Seek the Lord, seek his power, seek his presence continually. I have two points of application uh, before we before we shift to, to point number two. Um, by the way, point number one, if you're taking notes, is the heart of God. Forgive me, I should have given that to you a while ago. But point number one in the outline is the heart of God. My two points of application for point number one is number one, point of application number one, seek the Lord. And my, my, where the rubber meets the road is this. It is incredibly possible. In fact, I think it's utterly likely. In fact, I think I'd be foolish not to realize that there are so many people in this room that are reading their Bibles every day, but they are still neglecting the intimate, quiet place with Jesus Christ. You can read your Bible. You can check off Bible reading and prayer every day and not be seeking the Lord. You can seek the Bible without seeking the Lord. In fact, in, in my little group of friends that the Lord has given it, I call it the band of merry men. <laughs> um, in that little group of, group of men, um, they would say that we have finally come to realize that, that Bible and prayer are like two wings on a bird and you cannot soar without equally developing both. And we have been massively inclined and, and to a fault, to a massive fault, we have developed, we've been better in our studies than we've been in our prayer closets, so to speak. And that's been unto incredible robbing of the glory of Jesus Christ, robbing of intimacy of Jesus Christ, and robbing what, what the Lord wants to pour into his people through his mouthpieces. So, point of application number one, seek the Lord. Point of application number two, if you are struggling with sin this morning, this is where power comes from. He says, my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So they turn to wells that don't satisfy. Um, what are wells that don't satisfy? Pornography. Romance novels. That's female pornography. Work. That's my dad's sin. He was a workaholic. I, I swore before God I would never recreate that sin of my dad. Dad, do you want to play ball? We'll do it later. I knew, as a six-year-old boy, I knew that meant it was never going to happen. That hurt. I swore I would never recreate that sin. And then I grew up. And the next one on the list is my sin, ministry. I grew up and became a workaholic in ministry. Jesus Christ wasn't the center of my life. Serving God was the center of my life. Religion. Sports, exercise, toys, marriage. And then I'm going to sum it all up just with this. Anything but Jesus Christ is a well that doesn't satisfy. Anything but Jesus Christ. If it's the center, is a well that doesn't, that doesn't satisfy. And so my second point of application is simply that strength to overcome sin is, is given in pictorial form in this verse. 
the living God is the, the fountain of living waters. In my experience, um, sin at certain times in my life was like the incredible Hulk, right? And I would be battling, like after a Bible conference, I would be utterly exhausted. I would be in an airport somewhere around North America, Europe, Africa, and I would be utterly exhausted. Um, I would be headed home and then temptation uh, would just bombard me. Sometimes it felt like a physical bombardment. I'm not saying it was, but I'm just saying it was so intense at times that it felt like a physical bombardment, the attack of the enemy, right? Which is consistent with the Word of God, that he attacks when you're tired, when you're weary. So on the way home from Bible conferences, I would find this as a consistent theme. And there were times in my life that temptation was like the Incredible Hulk. When you're drinking from the well of living waters, when you're walking intimately with Christ, when you're basking in the sunshine of God's love, when you are hiding away in the prayer closet and you are tasting eternity, that turns temptation being the incredible Hulk into an earthworm, in my experience. It's still there. I'm not done wrestling with sin. I have not, I have not overcome sin. I'm 100% there in, the, in, in theologically in that we will not get to that place until we're glorified. And yet, in my experience, if you're drinking from the well that satisfies, there's a vast difference. This is where the power to overcome sin comes from. And it doesn't matter what the sin is. Jesus Christ is the Savior from sin. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, right? From sin. There is no sin that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot provide forgiveness for. There is no sin that the Holy Spirit cannot provide deliverance from. And we see it in pictorial form. Okay, for sake of time, let's run ahead. Point number two uh, is in Philippians chapter 3, if you would. Philippians chapter 3. If you're taking notes, point number two in the outline is there is more for those who will seek. There is more for those who will seek. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7. But what things were gains to me, in the Greek, that's plural, all the things that were gains to me. But what things were gains to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith. And then this is what I want to zero in on. That I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. So my thesis this morning that God has given me, that the truth that God very much wants to communicate to this local body on this particular Sunday is this. There is more of Christ for you to enjoy. There is more of Christ for you, enjoyment of Christ for you to enter into. In the Apostle Paul, he expresses his heart. By the way, here he expresses his passion, right? I want to know Christ. In Ephesians, he expresses incredibly similar thoughts, but it's in a prayer for the Ephesians. In fact, you don't, you don't have to turn if you don't want. Let me just read it to you. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. Let me pause just very briefly. If any of you are looking at Dan Williams and, and thinking, what on earth happened to him? Right? If, if that's true for any of you in the room and you're thinking, what happened to Dan? Right. I've heard Cindy say, I have a new husband. Praise God. Right. If any of you are looking and wondering, this is my best way of biblically explaining what happened to Dan Williams. As he sat at the feet of Jesus Christ for a week at the North American Week of Prayer, there, God, the all powerful God, did a work in Dan Williams from the inside out. What has happened to Dan is not something that Dan could ever do to himself. Amen. Yeah, it's something that the living God did in Dan. That's what, that's what Paul is praying for the Ephesian Christians. That, that they would be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That is intimacy. 
What is the point of the strengthening that Paul is praying for in Ephesians? He's praying that they'll be omnipotently strengthened by God in the inner man to the end that they would enjoy intimacy with Christ that they had never enjoyed before. This is what the living God wants with you today. Would you be excited if Jesus Christ was physically here? Would you be excited if Jesus Christ walked up to you and and he looked at you and maybe even he's so loving, right? Maybe he would even hold out his hand and and he would say, would you please make a little more time for me this week? I would love to spend time with you. That's our Savior. Amen? Jesus Christ loves us. It's a love relationship with the King of kings and Lord of lords. That's what Paul is praying for. That's what he expresses as his heart's longing in Philippians 3, that I may know Him. Every one of you that know your Bibles know that that word know means to know by experience, right? That, so we could, we could incredibly fairly translate that. I want to experience Christ. Is that the cry of your heart? That's the cry of my heart. I can say, standing in the presence of God, knowing that I'm going to give an account for every word that comes out of my mouth, I can say before God, all I want, all I want is Jesus Christ. I don't care about anything else. I don't care about this world. That's what Paul says. Five years ago, I would have enjoyed my wife more than I enjoyed Jesus Christ. I have a lot of good friends. In fact, I think I have more good friends than any other human being on planet Earth. Five years ago, I would have enjoyed those men more than I enjoyed Jesus Christ. And if I had a problem, I would have run to those men instead of running to Jesus Christ. I have not come on this journey of my own volition. I, I was made through physical sickness two and a half years ago. I was made to sit down and to learn to be still in the presence of God. Ten hours a day sitting there, not even able to physically read or physically listen because of the neurological issues that were going on. I couldn't take it. I couldn't take the light. I couldn't take the sound. I couldn't mentally read my Bible. I would just sit there in the presence of God. I was made to sit still and to learn what it means to dwell in the presence of God. And now this is the cry of my heart. Before I wanted to serve God, now I just want to walk with God. The service will come. I know it will come. But I just want to walk with God. I would go to California. I don't need any fruit. I don't need anything. I just would go to California just simply because the Lord has directed me there. And I would go there only to walk with God. I don't care about anything else. The Apostle Paul is saying, I want to experience Christ. My prayer for myself, you can do whatever you want with this, but my prayer for myself is simply this. I want everything. I was sitting in my prayer closet and I was just bursting one day and I was just in God's presence, just pouring out my heart to the Lord. And all of a sudden out of my mouth popped these words, Lord, I want everything. And then I went, can you say that? And all of a sudden it just was like a light bulb, just so obvious that he wants everything for us. And I said, and I said, Lord, I want everything that's in your mind and heart for me. I don't want anything that's not real, but I want everything that is real. And you're the perfect shepherd. So I, I trust you to lead me into everything that you have for me. And the journey over the past two and a half years of really coming to know Jesus Christ has been a result of, of Letting him lead me. I call it the school of Christ. It's my favorite place on, on planet earth is the school of Christ. And all you have to do is be willing to show up for class and he will teach you. He will lead you. He will guide you. My favorite class in the school of Christ is prayer, but, but all of them are incredibly valuable. I want to experience Christ. Is that, is that the cry of your heart? In fact, I'll give you now the point of application for point number two is don't miss Christ. Some people get angry at me for what I'm about to tell you. 
Not most people. Most people are on board. Uh, this is a move of God in North America, what I'm doing my best in my feeble ability to articulate and communicate to you this morning. This is the primary move of God that he is doing in his church in North America today. Most people are on board with that. They're coming along into blessing they've never even knew was possible this side of eternity. Some people get angry. And here's the statement. The Lord showed me this a number of months ago. Um, it was such a dramatic statement that that I just kind of thought, and I just let it cook in my mind for months before I was ever willing to express it out loud. And it's just simply this. Most Christians live their Christian life and miss Christ. Now, I could expound upon that, right? Most Christians live their Christian life and miss intimacy with Christ. And you could keep expounding, right? You could keep adding to it. But it's that simple. Most Christians live their Christian life and miss Christ. Most of you this morning are living your Christian lives and you're missing what the Apostle Paul is is praying for in Ephesians 3, what is offered to us in Revelation 3, and, and what is communicated as the passion of his heart in Philippians chapter 3. I want to experience Christ. Would, would, would it be fair to say this morning that if the Apostle Paul was here, we would consider him an elder statesman in this group? Is that fair? Right? Would, would it be fair to say that this guy would be a, a leader that we could follow? Sure. Look at the passion of his heart. He says, not that I have obtained or I'm already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. He says, as many of you are as mature, have this mind, the mind that he's describing, right? Paul, number one, was passionate about experiencing Christ. Let me please say, if you totaled up the sum of your life, what does your life show that you are passionate about? What are you seeking? You know, the best test that I know of what you're seeking is your prayer closet. The older brothers that, that walked with God, I read their books. These men, they would say things like, what a man is on his knees is what a man truly is. The best test of a man's relationship with Jesus Christ is his prayer closet. These are men that walk with God, and these are men that taught others. They taught an entire generation to walk with God. The consuming passion of the Apostle Paul was that he might experience Christ. I was in my office one day on my face before God, pouring out my heart to the Lord. And the presence of God flooded my office in a way I had never experienced before. And mid-sentence, I was laying on my carpet. Mid-sentence, I picked up my head off my carpet. And I said, I said, you're here, aren't you? And the only way I know to communicate it to you this morning is that God was everywhere in my office. I was very happy just to keep that to myself. One older brother that I read, he said, I would no rather, I would no rather tell everyone the intimacies of my prayer life than I would tell everyone the intimacies of how I make love to my wife. I was very happy to keep it to myself, right? It's my intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ. In fact, a couple times along this little journey, I've thought, man, Scott, are you crazy? And then a brother that's, that's 15, 18 years older than me, he knows his Bible three times as well as I do. He's getting ready to finish his, his uh, commentary on the Old Testament. Um, he told me one day, we pray on Tuesdays, and um, he told me one day, he said, Hey, um, there were five of us that got together to seek the Lord for three days. And um, our hearts were hungry at the end of it. The Lord didn't do all we were longing for. And we were just longing for more. And we left with that hunger that like, we want more, we want more, we want more. Anyways, we went home and he told me the next week when we prayed together, he said, uh, I was laying in bed the night after we got home and my wife was already asleep. And he said, I was laying there in bed and they said, the presence of God just flooded my bedroom. And he said, word for word, what I say, he said, God was everywhere. You taste eternity in the prayer closet and you don't ever want to get out of that prayer closet again. You, you taste the, the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm such a little stupid man that I've begged the Lord. I've begged the Lord to overcome my lack of faith. I've begged the Lord to overcome my inability. I've begged the Lord to overcome my lack of discipline. I, Lord, you have to meet me where I am. You have to lead me on. And, and the Lord has been incredibly kind. The Lord has been incredibly gracious. 
I started saying years ago, five, six years ago, um, Lord, please, you have to massively increase my sensitivity to the divine person that lives inside of me. Please, Lord God. Jesus Christ was filled with the Spirit. He came in the power of the Spirit, right? Luke 3, Luke 4. I mean, his dependence on the Spirit was extraordinary. And I just say, Lord, you please, you have to teach me. And, and I, I'm on day 30 of kindergarten. And yet he has taught us some incredible lessons. Let me just give you one example. And I hope, I would just as soon keep these things to myself, but I hope that this is encouraging. My prayer is that this is encouraging. I was sitting on my couch. I wasn't feeling too well. My family was on the East Coast for a singing competition. And I know this isn't romantic, like this is not what you're supposed to stand up here and say. Um, but I was actually really excited for a week by myself. Now, I deeply love my family. You all don't know me, but I adore my wife. I adore my kids. And yet a week unhindered in the presence of God, I was just pumped to sit there. And I would sit there for four or five hours in the morning with my coffee, just, just enjoying, just basking in the sunshine of God's love and enjoying his presence, reading my Bible, pouring out my heart in prayer. Anyways, on this particular morning, I noticed on online banking that, that we had somewhere around $40 in our bank account. And it shocked me. And so I texted my wife and I said, babe, how much money are we supposed to have in our bank account? And, and she said, well, I don't remember exactly how much, but I know that there's a good buffer. And by the way, that doesn't mean $40. And, and so, and so I knew something was wrong. I went into her office. I opened up the ledger. She does all the books for our family. I took a picture of it and I texted it to her and she called back after she was able to compare it to online banking. And she said, sweetheart, I'm so sorry. She'd made a clerical error for $1,190. And she said, I'm so sorry, babe. Um, and I said, oh, that's okay. Look, we're still positive. Like, this is where all the great stories come from. Um, we had already sent out bills. And so those bills were going to come come in within a day or two, right? And so I said, oh, it's okay. We briefly prayed. We committed it to the Lord. And I just went on with my day. Nothing to do with that. I was praying with a brother that we've labored, the brother I've labored in prayer with more than any other brother in the world. Um, we're praying over FaceTime. And we're pouring our hearts out to the Lord for revival in the Bride of Christ in North America, for the awakening that is coming. Uh, God desires that none should perish. I don't care what the awakening looks like. The Lord hasn't shown me that. But his, his work in the next generation will be perfect. And so we're praying for an adulterous bride, right? We're praying for uh, the lost that are, that are launching off into eternity, a Christless eternity. Um, when I prayed, I just prayed. It was what I would call a normal prayer meeting. That's what most prayer is, by the way, right? You're just laboring in prayer. Then when he began to pray, I'll communicate this the only way I know how, an incredible burden from the Lord came upon me. And and sometimes you can feel like you're going to be crushed when God shares his burden with you in that quiet place of prayer. And so I was sitting there and I just felt like I was going to be crushed and my shoulders were shaking and I was weeping. I was trying to be quiet, not be distracting. Um, and, and it got so intense that I thought when my brother stops praying, I'm, I'm going to have to just say, Mike, I got to go and then just close, close my computer. But as he was wrapping up his prayer, um, as intensely and heavily as this burden came on me, it just left. And it was just gone. So I took 30 seconds to say goodbye to Mike. And then I closed my computer and I bowed my head in the presence of God. And I said, Lord, if you want me to pray through today, that's what I want to do. I get that statement again from the old time, the old time guys that knew how to walk with God, that knew how to lay hold of God in prayer, right? That's how they would communicate it. They would say, pray through. It's the idea of praying until you get, until you get an answer. And I said, Lord, if you want me to pray through today, you tell me, and there's nothing I would rather do with my day than sit here and, and seek you until you give me an answer. And you know what the Lord did? He said, in prayer, he said, Scott, I'm using you guys. Trust my timing. Trust my ways. Now, this is me to a fault. I said, Lord, if you want me to pray through, if you want me to sit here and pray, that's what I want to do. All my life, I've basically wanted to run ahead of God. All my life. And he said one more time, he said, Scott, trust me. Trust my timing. Trust my ways. And then he said this in prayer. I would call this the voice of the Spirit, by the way. If you read Mueller, if you read guys of that era, they would call it the still small voice or they would call it the voice of the Spirit. It's what's described in Acts 13. 
And they, and anyways, the Lord said to me, now get up off your couch, go to your mailbox and get your provision from me. And this was brand new to me, right? And so I'm a, a pitiful little servant of God, a man of little faith. And so I said out loud, my house is empty, right? I said out loud, you want me to get up off my couch. You want me to walk to my mailbox and get my provision from you. And you know what he said? He said, go get your daily bread. And I stood up, and as timid as probably ever in my life, I walked the 15 feet from my couch to the mailbox. And long story short, the Lord provided that day $1,180 in check form. Now, those of you that are listening carefully will remember we were 1,190 short, right? But I was so excited about this. I called with, I called my wife. We, we prayed. We just rejoiced in the presence of God together. I was so excited. I asked the Lord for permission to share this with God's people for his glory based on the Exodus 16 principle that his provision is his glory. Um, and, and I just felt freedom in the presence of God. So I went out on the patio. I held my phone and I shared this with God's people. A girl that lives, a woman that, that lives a, a half an hour from us, she wrote me and she said, I just had to tell you this, right? The Lord didn't provide $1,180. She said, I felt kind of silly, but earlier this week I sent a note to your wife and, and I just felt utterly compelled in the presence of God to include a $10 bill in the note. And so, and so she said, I had to tell you, the Lord provided exactly $1,190. And I walked into my wife's office, her desk, right, right in the middle of her desk was this girl's note. It's her name's Sarah. And um, their $10 bill was right there in, in, the middle, in the middle of the desk. Now, I'm telling you that for a very specific purpose. Um, this is, what I'm describing is how the Lord has allowed me. Now, our experiences are going to be different, right? But it's how the Lord has allowed me to experience Christ. The Apostle Paul said that I may experience him. I would love to keep telling you stories. <laughs> I would love to keep telling you stories. Um, I'm not going to. But my point of application is don't miss Christ. Don't miss Christ. If anything else is the center of your life, you're not living in the jackpot that you came into. If you're neglecting the prayer closet, if you're not drinking from the fountain of living waters and hence living the abundant life that is described in John chapter 7, the fullness that, that Paul prays for in Ephesians chapter 3, Right? The whole point of his prayer in Ephesians 3, he ends it with that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. Okay, I have one more point. Go to James chapter 4 if you would. This is point 3 in my outline. It's the last text that we'll look at and we'll be brief here. James chapter 4. James chapter 4. Point number 3 is how do we get there? How do we get there? And I'm just going to use this text to just as one example of how we would get to where we're trying to describe this morning. James chapter 4, verse number 1. Where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lust and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. And then please notice this. I beg you on behalf of Jesus Christ, please notice this. Adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? At the very beginning of the message, I said that we must come to where we see sin the way that God sees. He sees neglecting your relationship with him as evil according to Jeremiah chapter 2. He sees the things that we just read in James chapter 4 as adultery. Now, in the briefest of ways, let's look at what we just read. Uh, in verse number 2, you lust and do not have, you murder and covet. I have a box around that in my Bible. Covetousness. Is covetousness an issue in this, in this congregation? It's rhetorical, of course. But, but look, standing in the presence of God, we must take this seriously. Covetousness, two times in the New Testament. Covetousness, which is idolatry. So he says covetousness. And then, and then you keep going. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. I have not asked boxed in my text, right? That is called prayerlessness. Does prayerlessness, oh, Lord help me. Does prayerlessness characterize your life? 
What does your prayer closet look like? Do you love work more than prayer? More than the intimate, quiet place with Christ? Do you love Xbox more than the intimate, quiet place with Christ? Do you love toys more than the intimate, quiet place with Christ? What is your prayer closet like? The true test of intimacy with Christ, the truest test I know of, of your intimacy with Christ, is is your prayer life. He says covetousness, and then he says prayerlessness, and then you keep going. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. So that's selfishness. You're asking for things that are that are not God's will. You're asking for things you want for your own pleasures. And then he says, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world? That's the fourth one, worldliness. So from God's perspective, covetousness, prayerlessness, selfishness, and worldliness is adultery. And again, we've come full circle now back to relationship. Jesus Christ longs to have an intimate, thriving, fulfilling, satisfying, personal love relationship with every one of us. Is that good news? Oh, it's good news. I was at work one day, and um, my wife called me. Uh, this was in my 20s, probably 15, 18 years ago. And my wife called me, and I was in the middle of a call. I was in sales. And, and I picked up my phone because it was my wife. And, and she said, she said, what you doing? And I said, um, <laughs> I said, I'm working. And she said, Okay. And uh, she said, I said, are you okay? And she said, yeah. I said, maybe you can come home when you get a chance. And I said, okay. Bye. And, and she's like, bye. And I closed the phone. Those are the days of flip phones. Um, I, I went right on with my call. And then I thought, that's never happened before. And I, I walked out and I called her and I said, do I need to come home? And she said, when you have a chance? And I said, okay. I got in my car and a little blue Subaru. And I drove home. It took me about 10 minutes to get there. And when I pulled up in front of my house, my, my beautiful blonde wife was seated on the, the front steps of our home. And she had printed out in her hands, um, the arrest report of her favorite preacher in, in all the world, uh, her father. Long story short, um, it eventually came out that he had... By the way, I asked his permission to share this. Long story short, it came out that he had um, had two adulterous affairs, um, but it was worse than that. He actually started doing things that society deems illegal, and, and he ended up going to prison twice. My, my wife's favorite preacher her father, her spiritual hero. I I sat in bed that night holding my wife as she shook, crying. And if you know my wife, she's the least emotional girl I've ever met in my entire life. Um, And she just stood there and she just shook, crying over the, the ripping apart of relationships through adultery. I can honestly say in the presence of God that I hate that sin. I hate that sin. I hate that sin. I hate that sin. It's one thing to look at my sister who left home when she was 16 and and say, oh, it's sad when people don't live in the good of what they've been provided for. It's another thing to realize I'm the one who has not lived in the good of what I've been provided for. It's one thing to look at my father-in-law and to, I don't hate him, by the way, and let me please tell you, he is in happy fellowship at Topeka Gospel Chapel where we fellowship in Topeka, Kansas. He's zealously pressing on for the Lord. Um, I'll just leave it at that, right? The story doesn't end with prison. The story ends with forgiveness and reconciliation and repentance and and all the rest of it. Um, But my point is it's one thing for me to look at him and then to hate the sin of adultery. It's another thing for me to be honest and humble in the presence of God and to read this passage and to say, I'm the adulterer that the passage describes. I'm the one who's been characterized by covetousness at times in my life. I'm the one who for most of my Christian life has been overwhelmingly characterized by prayerlessness. I'm the one who when I did pray, so much selfishness consumed my prayers. 
I'm the one who wanted to be friends with the world. Those are the four things that are described in this passage. And God looks down from the heavens and He says, that's adultery. He says, you, Scott DeGroff, are the adulterer that needs to repent. Is it the meanness of God that grants men repentance? Is He being mean to any of you here this morning? It's the kindness of God, right? It's the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. You have not yet come into all that has been provided for you in the person of Jesus Christ. It's all right there for you. But there's not one person. I can say this so confidently, right? If the Apostle Paul was here, he would be leading the charge in what is being said. He would be saying, the consuming passion of my life is that I may experience Christ, that I may experience power, omnipotent power. What do we need in California? We need to walk with God. We need omnipotent power. That involves the fellowship of His sufferings. I'm going to leave you with this and then I'm going to close. What is the solution, right? I've tried to make a simple case from the Word of God this morning. What is the solution? If you have your Bibles open to James chapter 4, it's found in verse number 8. And we're just going to read one little phrase. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Is that a promise? That's a promise in the Word of God. Please, you can, if you leave here with nothing else, then just latch hold of that promise and don't let it go. What do you have to do? Right? Everybody always asks this question. I have a steady stream of phone calls. Monday, I had four. Tuesday, I wasn't feeling too well. I had three. It's all I can physically do to keep up with the people that are calling, and they're all saying the same thing. These are elders. These are full-time workers. These are admirable older servants of God and admirable young servants of God. And they call. They all say the same thing. This is embarrassing. This is humiliating. This I'm ashamed, but I don't know how to walk with God. My prayer life shows that I don't know how to walk with God. Would you please pray with me? Would you please, can we covenant together to seek God together? Look, I I have one thought to leave you with, right? And I just read the verse, right? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is my closing thought. Show up for the date. Show up for the date. It's that simple. It's, it's right. You got saved by grace through faith. How do you carry on? By grace through faith. All you have to do is show up for the date. Jesus Christ is saying to you, right? He's saying, I would like to spend time with you. Use a human illustration. After the services today, if a young man walks up to a young woman and says, and says, hey, I really would enjoy getting to know you better. Could we have coffee? She will either make herself available to know and to be known, or she will say no and not make herself available to know and be known. It's that simple. All you have to do to proceed into everything God wants for you is make yourself available for the date. Now, I would love to stand here. You know, I was wrestling last night because I want to give you three conferences worth of experiences, three conferences worth of biblical exposition. I want to give you so much this morning, and yet I have one bullet, right? And so I just want to leave you with that one thought. If you have the perfect leader, all you have to do is show up, spend time with him in that quiet place, and he will perfectly address what needs to be addressed in your life, and he will perfectly lead you on into everything he has for you. Father, we commit this to you. Uh, we pray that your perfect work would be done in this auditorium. Lord, we love you. We want you to get the glory that you deserve. We want you to get the intimacy from these Christians that you deserve. We we pray that your perfect work and your perfect will would be accomplished. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Lord, amen.